Are you unable to concentrate on the tasks at hand? Do you need help focusing more or leveling up your game? Here's a tip. Try Cognizant Citicoline, clinically studied to support mental energy, focus, memory, and attention. Cognizant supports brain health and supplies the brain with the energy it needs to stay sharp. Cognizant is a leading nootropic featured in over 200 products. This podcast is powered by Cognizant. Visit Cognizant.com to learn more and find a product to help you fuel your day. Ready to achieve great heights? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Power Your Performance, the podcast where we dive deep with leaders in the gaming world and beyond and learn the techniques they use to power their lives. I am your host, Gary Kleinman. Borko Pavic, welcome to Power Your Performance. I'm doing well, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I am so happy to have you here. Uh, your title is you are the performance coach at Overactive Media. That's correct. Okay. So let's not talk about that. Let's go back to your basketball days. You've obviously uh, care about sports and activity. Uh, where did that start? When did it start? How did it start? Um, I played sports my entire life. Um, my father was, you know, big into soccer, or football, if you want to call it, in Europe. Uh, I was born in uh, Bosnia, spent some time in Serbia before coming to Canada. So, you know, that aspect of, you know, my life kind of carried over. Uh, my father was, you know, he played some soccer, but he was, you know, he's always been a fan of sports. So when we came to Canada, we... Uh, soccer wasn't as big as it was back home. So we kind of searched for, you know, what made the most sense and uh, just kind of fell into basketball. And How old were you when you uh, migrated to Canada? I was uh, nine years old. So was sports one of the ways then uh, that you integrated with friends in the community as your, your commonality? No question. I, I mean, I can remember, you know, the first, weeks in the country with absolutely like minimal language understanding but just the playground at recess and you know throwing a ball kicking a ball shooting it uh, it was just a way to connect with people uh, on a different level other than language and uh, you know allowed me to kind of get comfortable and find my footing and um, I think it, it set the stage for you know my growth going forwards yeah i've always found it fascinating how uh things like sport can do that right that there's that universal language of game and it allows you to integrate into a community that on its face and its surface may not have any basis for integration were you a gamer then uh in terms of video games at the same time or was it more stick and ball I mean, it was definitely more more ball. Not a lot of stick. Uh, we played okay. some ping pong and tennis, but you know, no hockey. hockey. Wait, you're in Canada. You're not playing hockey and, and strapping on skates. God, I was. You can get deported back to where you came from if you don't skate. I mean, a quick story. The first time I was on skates, we we went to this like used sporting goods store and bought these skates that you know didn't tie up properly. They weren't sharpened, and I stepped on the ice and uh, you know the like city hall rink and 
this guy came up to my parents and asked, like, is your son all right? Because, like, he doesn't look good out there. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was my first experience with hockey. But, yeah, I was, you know, I played video games. Uh, my parents bought a, a Sega system uh, back in, like, the early 90s um, in Italy. And we were, like, the first family to have this back home. And I remember playing, you know, there was a soccer game. There was this... Um, adventure game as well so you know there was always a love for that we played tetris um these little handheld games but i i don't know if i consider myself a gamer per se but you know it was always kind of around in a way and then you looking at your bio uh then you got into basketball and coaching basketball is was that the initial part of your trajectory yeah after i, I finished playing uh you know there was a period where it was apparent that that was the end of my playing days. Like there wasn't going to be much past that, but you know, I wanted the game to continue to be part of my life. And I spent the early portion of that kind of transition time in scouting. Uh, so I had an opportunity to kind of travel the world and, um, you know, look at up and coming talent for, for the NCAA, for the NBA, um, made some great connections, friendships at, at that time. And what kind of, what I was missing in my life at that time was the, the, you know, the connection you find when you're part of a team. And in the scouting world, you're very much on your own. Right. Uh, and you're meeting these people as you're on the road. Uh, but I didn't feel like I was making an impact uh, you know, with a team on a level, you know, where you connect with people that you can only kind of find that when you're part of this, you know, collective group. Um, so I started to kind of find ways to, you know, get back into the game, like being on the court, being with a team. So I, I started helping out as an assistant coach, uh, doing some skill development things. Uh, and then it just kind of grew from there. I, I coached at a, a private school, had the opportunity to start a, an elite program there at a private school. Uh, then became an assistant coach at the university level, uh, eventually the head coach. Um, then I had a chance to coach professionally as well. So it just kind of took steps from there and, uh, you know, kind of grew individually as I was able to have these experiences in my life. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting what you said, you know, from being a scout and being a scout is tremendously lonely, right? It's just you and it's you in a, in a, in a notepad and a clipboard and, you know, trying to find uh, the diamond in the rough, so to speak, all over the place and um, and the need or what you're saying with, that you're lacking was the interaction with other people. And I think uh, gaming um, at its core is about community more so than the game itself. And um, I think what you just articulated is probably the driving force for the growth of game or gaming, esports and otherwise, because of that need to connect uh, with similar like-minded people in a community that share interest. But so you go from collegiate basketball and uh, professional basketball, where does the gaming come in? Or was it first performance and you applied it to gaming? Or were you looking at gaming and thought, well, how can I improve and help people for, perform better? Yeah, I mean, well put, to, well put together there, Gary. Um, I think it, it's a mix of things. Again, I've been in basketball, but I was also a teacher. 
so I, I spent quite a bit of time, you know, studying and researching and working with, with people and how they learn, how they grow, how they develop outside of just basketball, you know, from an academic standpoint. Uh, but I've always been intrigued with, you know, uh, these, I would say, high performing uh, pockets of the world. So I've, you know, had an opportunity to to study elite performers. So I've always been kind of captured by that. And then to, you know, connect that with gaming, it was kind of just, I, honestly, it was a somewhat random opportunity that presented itself. And I had a chance to work with uh, a team here that I'm now working for, the Toronto Ultra. Right. Um, it's essentially on a, on a basis of kind of doing a, a, a culture building activity to, to kick off their season last year. And then that turned into almost a, a consulting type of uh, capacity. And then it turned into like a part-time opportunity. And then it became a, a, a full-time uh, position that then works with both teams here in Toronto, which is the Toronto Ultra and the Toronto De- Defiant. Right. Um, so it, and, they're, it, and they're part of overactive media. That's correct. And, um, for those people that are watching and listening, uh, they may not know a lot about overactive media in gaming, you know, in North America, who they are. Um, the elevator description of overactive media, because it's not just a gaming organization. Um, it's an entertainment organization producing content. So give me that little um, 10 floor overview, if you will, of overactive media. And then we'll really get into uh, the performance issues, the health issues, um, the process and protocols to train, prepare um, for gaming. So, yeah, it's it, it, essentially like if I would compare it to traditional sport, it's like, uh, you know, we have Maple Leaf sports and entertainment here in Toronto. So it, under that umbrella, you have the, you know, the Raptors, the Maple Leafs, uh, the Toronto FC. So overactive media, you know, under that umbrella, we have the Toronto Ultra, which is a Call of Duty team. Uh, we have the Toronto Define, which is in the Overwatch League. And then we have uh, a couple teams in Europe that play under uh, the Mad Lions franchise. So we have a League of Legends team. Uh, and now we have a uh, uh, we have a League of Legends Academy team as well. And uh, now a Valorant team so it's it's a it's a group of, of five teams that fall under this umbrella and you know the the other exciting thing is uh overactive media is uh developing this uh new entertainment uh venue so it's not just for gaming it's for you know performances here in in toronto which is going to be a, a a very special and unique place um so it's it's been tremendous growth and you know in my time it's just been over a year it's you know the growth of overactive has been tremendous yeah without a doubt so with the time we have left i really want to zero in on the performance aspect and uh does performance as you're preparing uh to work with individuals and the teams collectively do you start with psychology or you start with uh physiology i think I personally start with getting to know the individual. And if you want to classify it as psychology, I think to me it's more about uh, con- making that connection, as we, as we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, I stepped into this realm, and uh, if I brought my perspectives and try to apply my 
you know, vision of, you know, what a high performing environment looks like based on how I saw it and perceived it in traditional sport here, I think I'd be missing some, uh, some nuance that's crucial. So I, I took time to get to know the individuals, uh, to get to know the environment, uh, how they function within it, uh, to then be able to identify those, you know, those gaps and growing points and also to, you know, accelerate the, the, the successes. So again, I, I think the, you know, what you're alluding to, I would say it's more of the like, psychology side, uh, but you know, th- there are a m- m- multitude of angles that we can approach this from. So, you know, I was just thinking that with all the teams that, that you just, or the, the, the games that the different teams are playing under the same umbrella is that within that you also have players from a wide variety of cultures Right. So you're not having all Canadians or all, you know, U.S. citizens. You, you get a, a fairly decent mix of backgrounds. How does that play into uh, as you start creating kind of performance scenarios for the individuals is to understand their culture, their history, where they came from? That's uh, I mean, it's a terrific question, Gary. And our, again, I, I work specifically with the two teams here in Toronto. So our ultra team uh, of the of the five players that are currently on our roster and then the, the two coaches, um, we have six of those seven are from the UK. And then one player is from Denmark. So hmm. you know, they're all fluent in English. So it makes things a lot smoother that way. But for them, this is a new, uh, new country, new culture. Uh, they're away from home, and and these are young guys. In right, this, and many times they're away place. from home for the first time. Absolutely, right. And, Absolutely. and then there, you you not only get their gaming performance and their psychology, but the alienation. Um, I guess actually you're a pretty good person uh, for that because you can relate to uh, being the new kid in a foreign environment without uh, full language. Um, and having to, you know, sink or swim, as we say uh, uh, here. So that I mean, that's kind of interesting to start with the culture and the diversity uh, first and foremost. And and then how? What's the next thing? I mean, how much of your performance is physical? There, there are they weight training? Are they dieting? Are they getting nutritional counseling? Are we staying away from Red Bulls? Um, Give me some insight on on what that looks like, even before they actually start playing. Yeah, again, there's you know a room for growth is you know in in all areas, uh, but if we try to attack everything at once and try to turn it a hundred percent around, then I think you you lose you lose the buy-in, you lose the connection. Uh, so we have to be very strategic in how we approach it. And, you know, we think about it in terms of, you know, marginal gains, 1% every day that, you know, compound interest over time is where we're going to see those, uh, you know, sustained long-term results. So yeah, you know, incorporating weight physical training. activity. Are, yeah. physical are, activity. Are, are you weight training? Are we, they weight training? I, I, I don't know if I would call it weight training. Uh, we have an area here in our facility that's, you know, dedicated to that. Uh, but they, you know, our players have memberships to the to the gym that's nearby. Uh, and for some guys, it looks like, 
you know, regular weight training for other guys. It looks like cardio for others. It's a mix of both. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're not trying to make them, uh, Olympic athletes. We're trying to provide them with, you know, the, as much as it's physical, the, the mental space to, to be doing something else to almost, you know, release them from the stress to allow for, you know, higher performance. So no question. I mean, I, uh, the, the company that I run skins.gg, which is a health platform for, for gamers with a wide variety of products. We produced a three volume ebook about the top 25 injuries, how to prevent them, um, and how to treat them. Um, and, and really what is probably the foundation, the backbone for the prevention is what you do beforehand, right? The stretching, uh, making you know, making sure that that you are doing some weightlifting. I mean, certainly you don't want powerlifting. Um, that's not going to work. And I don't think any of the gamers are dry scooping whey protein. Um, the, the the new way to take uh, supplements if you're a powerlifter is to dry scoop, which I'll never quite understand because it cannot taste good. Uh, but from this protocol, how much of that is really teaching them stretching techniques and teaching them, um, you know, strength motions and movements specific to their game, whether it's um, forearm strength and stretching and wrist flexibility and, you know, how much of that is spent even before they start practicing? It, uh, a lot. And, you know, the, the piece that you alluded to is, is the teaching and education piece, um, you know, giving them these insights. And, you know, we have two games here in Toronto and they're both different because one is Call of Duty's played with a controller. Overwatch is played with mouse and keyboard. Right. I'm so, glad yeah. you brought that up because that that also adds another dynamic to your performance coaching. It, they're a completely different skill set, uh, completely different movements, and Absolutely. Uh, and even so the psychology of it, you know, um, is is different. So, um, is there a basic standard protocol that all the gamers um, in the organization follow in terms of and and not as a dogmatic mandate where you know you can't eat a donut kind of thing? But is there um, an overall process where you say, this is what you need to be doing. These are the carbs you should have. This is uh, the starches, uh, the kind of fluids, keep sugar out of it, uh, maybe reduce caffeine. But if you want some stimulus, do a natural form caffeine. Is, is it that refined in terms of I, the performance? I, the, the term protocol to me in, in this aspect is is very, is very rigid in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want to empower them. We want to educate them. We want to give them the information to, you know, to make some of those decisions for themselves. So we have, we have guys that, you know, take caffeine before, before playing, before competition. Some guys don't. Um, we have guys that will, you know, meditate and do breathing exercises for other guys. It doesn't work. So kind of a one size fit, fits all approach is. Oh yeah. No I try, question. I try to stay away from that. So I, I don't say we have protocol, but we have guidelines and okay. we, we try to work with them because again, the, the, the buy-in will be created if, if we come to these uh, kind of ideas together. So, you know, we've had uh, nutritionists come in and, and give us, you know, 
how do we optimize our sugar or caffeine intake before performance? Because we found that, you know, if you're playing on a Sunday of a major in Call of Duty, there's a chance you're playing three matches in a row, back to back to back. And we did that last year when we won uh, major two. Uh, The guys, I think they played like seven hours almost in a row with, I would say like 10, 15 minute breaks in between matches. So how do we optimize for those days? It's not every day in competition that it looks like that, but when we arrive at that, how are we properly, you know, hydrated? How are we properly rested? How are they making sure that, you know, their caffeine level hasn't peaked in the first two hours and they still have enough uh, energy for the, the, you know, the four or five hours that are to follow. So it's, I would say it's more, uh, more fluid, more holistic. Um, I don't like to, to say this is what you have to do because then the reality is they'll, they'll leave the facility and they're going to do what they want to do. Well, that's so true. You can't control it. I know Amon Green. I don't know if you know Amon, who's uh, played for the Green Bay Packers, a Hall of Fame running back for the Packers, is also the esports coach for Lakeland University. And he used and uses a fair amount of his National Football League training protocols uh, with with his team and that's X number of hours in the weight room and granted they're not bulking up but uh, there there is that nutritional table and there's a uh, uh, not a requirement but a suggested number of hours to be sleeping right um, pre-tournament pre-practice and cer- and certainly post um, and I think he, he has found that that it works but to your point they're all individuals and they're all going to do what they're going to do and and they're all young right so um, do you find that some of the, because the average age of these players is what 20 ish yeah it, it's different for each game as well um, I think our Call of Duty team for us specifically is a little bit older than our Overwatch team. Uh, but you're right. We have players from 18 to 23, 24. And what I have found being in, in the health and wellness side of gaming is at that age, I mean, when you look at the average age of a, of a, of a gamer is 37 and it's split 50-50 male-female, esports obviously skews younger uh, for all the reasons that, that it does. But what we have found is the younger that they are, the more invincible that they feel so that if they're uh, feeling pain or discomfort, uh, okay, it's pain and discomfort. They're not going to necessarily treat it. If they're feeling a little bit sluggish, it's simple for them to go grab a Red Bull as opposed to something healthier, which is kind of interesting. Do you look at the wide array of supplements that are available um, and recommend them? I mean, what what we have seen, and without getting into this um, too specifically, that there is, uh, we're releasing a new electrolyte product because um, there's not en- enough electrolytes that the athletes um, are replacing, especially in a seven-hour session. So are there electrolyte supports? Are there uh, calcium support? Do you recommend those? Do they use them? Or are we not there yet? Well, we're, we're certainly there. And again, we, we had a great conversation with, the, with our nutritionist in, in, in regards to you know, supplements and vitamins specifically. Okay. And... Again, we don't make these things mandatory. It's it's about, you know, this is what's available. This is the, you know, the effectiveness, the uses. And it, it goes back to that awareness. And 
Uh, you know, you talked about sleeping and pain. And I think the more they can check in and reflect on, you know, their mental and physical states uh, it, and building that understanding what the underlying factors are, not just the, you know, the, the symptoms, I think it allows them to be able to, to be more proactive and then ask for help when, when it's needed. And I'll just jump to a point of, you know, physiotherapy. A, a lot of our players haven't been exposed to that much before coming here. So it was, it was a process of getting them comfortable with that to be able to say, Hey, you know, I, I have pain here. I have, you know, issues in this area. How do we treat it? And, you know, we, we've been working with a great, uh, with a great clinic nearby here and, and they've been tremendous in individually building programs for our players, not just a, again, like this one size fits all approach. And, uh, they know that again, our players are, are not, it's not like a basketball player. The injuries are different. The, there's the, no question. There's the no usage question. is different. So trying to apply those methods is, is, is not going to be effective. Yeah, so, I, can, I can personally uh, attest to that because I have a trigger thumb that uh, received an ejection several weeks ago. And in another 10 days, I get another one. So, hmm. yeah, it is um, it, it, it is interesting. And I'm glad to hear that the younger the athlete um, is being exposed to the fact that if they're hurting or they need something, that there is treatment, that it it's not negative to say, hey, I'm hurting, right? Exactly. There's Take exactly. away that macho, which leads us to the last thing in the time that we have available is to talk about the psychology. You know, how do you get um, your teams to say, because they're going to win and they're going to lose. Winning is easy, right? It's, it's, there, there's, there, there, there's nothing to get used to. Um, in winning. There is something to get used to in losing. How do you leave it at the computer? How do you leave it at the controller and not take it with you and get it out of your head so it doesn't impact you during your next practice and your next game? Yeah, it's, you know, I'll compare it to, to traditional sport. The, the difference is you can leave the basketball court and you're not going home and playing more basketball. Whereas in, in gaming, you know, they can play and win or lose, and then you end up going home, and then you, you play more. And your, you know, that community around you is is kind of always there. Uh, you know, the, the connection between the game and social media, it's it's prevalent. So the the wins, I think, become you, you're on a, a higher high because you get that immediate like adrenaline hit and response from your following and from from the fans. But likewise, the, you know, the downs of a loss can be maybe even, even deeper because, you know, the, 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 the handshake in, in esports is the, you know, Gigi's tweet after a match. That's but true. as you do that, you're already seeing your timeline with responses of telling you how bad you are at the game. So the, the mix of that on top of, Good point. you know, feeling like you've underperformed or, you know, the team hasn't, you know, executed the way they needed to adds a whole nother layer. And yeah, I think it's interesting and having spoken to many professional gamers and been to, you know, um, a wide um, uh, array of different professional matches what people don't realize that gamers are gamers, right? So even if they're um, in performing in Overwatch as a team, when they're not practicing, they may be casually playing FIFA. They might be casually playing some other game 
to play. And it it's just that joy, that innate joy of gaming. Um, that that's how they relax and and wind down. So the last question I have for you, um, what is your recommendation as a performance coach at the highest level to casual gamers or competitive gamers that are not playing esports at that level, but frankly, they just want to kick their buddy's butt uh, gaming? What's your recommendation for them to be in the best possible physical and or psychological um, place to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I work with, I would say that, you know, the, the 1% of the 1%. Uh, but if I was talking to, you know, the casual gamer, I think it's very easy to go down a, you know, a rabbit hole where, where you find yourself playing eight to 10 hours a day. And then that compounds over time. And I think it's balance. It's how right. do you, you know, find avenues away from the computer, away from the system to provide yourself with, you know, the nutrition, the hydration, the physical activity uh, to clear your mind, to clear your, your body, to, to, to be able to, to perform. And again, that, that can be at a different level, whether it's, you know, a, a friendly match with your friends or at a, you know, collegiate level. Now, I think it's, uh, clearing the space a mental space that that will provide you with an opportunity to just you know be at your best and you know those things can come from finding other things that can occupy you so whether it's playing traditional sport or uh, you know spending time with with friends outside of the game uh, so that when you can come it's it's a clear mind and a in a focused mind to be able to perform and i think if if the more we do one thing over and over, then you kind of get caught up in this like in this fog that's that's difficult to to get out of. So well, yeah, you raised a great point, and it's a it's a great lesson to to leave on, and that is there is a mind body connection, and gaming for those casual and or competitive, forget the sports people, that mind body connection is about balance in your in your entire life, so that when you do choose to take the time to game, you're doing it and coming in with some fair amount of balance. Borco, I appreciate your time. Uh, Overactive is lucky to have you. Uh, Canada's lucky to have you as well. And if you ever uh, come down to North America, I'll buy you lunch. Absolutely, Gary. I'll I'll hold you to it. Please do. Borco, thank you for the time. And uh, keep gaming and keep those kids healthy. Thanks, Gary. All right. Be well. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the MAP Esports Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to leave us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast player.